All right, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on Peak Human Labs podcast. Today I have Yarrow Willard, um, who's here from Harmonic Arts. Yarrow, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind doing your, doing your intro, and, uh, and then let's just jump right into it. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I am a clinical herbalist, um, but I'm also a naturalist and really into looking at the rhythms of our planet and the lost language of communication between us and other species and this kind of inter, um, I guess, sensory perception type of communication. So that's what I, that's my jam. You know, I have a YouTube channel. I do a lot of video. Um, I run a company that sells herbs and spices and medicinal mushrooms and elixirs and kind of tonic nourishment for the modern age. So maybe just tell us a little bit about your background. I'd love to hear a bit more. I haven't really heard that. You know, how'd you get into this whole field and what brought you into that? That'd be interesting. Yeah, well, um, I'll say I was born into working with plant medicine. My father is a clinical herbalist. Um, his name is Dr. Terry Willard. He used to be the, uh, I guess he was the president of the Canadian Herbalist Association for a number of years. He's written about 12 books on plant medicine, including um, the very first kind of Western book on reishi, uh, which is now a kind of fable. But yeah, he would do a lot of herb walks as a kid. Um, I would go on these herb walks and, and sit in teepee camp, do sweat lodges, this kind of thing for a bit. And that kind of organically grew. But you know, as I became a teenager, I was like, nope, I'm not into this stuff. I'm going to try the conventional way of life. And that didn't work out for me. Right. <laughs> so in my early 20s, I was already, well, I guess even at 19, I was back working in a health food store, learning about plants, decided to do my clinical herbalist diploma program, which was a four and a half year program at Wild Rose. Amazing yeah. college. Did that. Um, came out to the West Coast and realized whoa, uh, I don't look like Merlin, so I can't be the guru sage herbalist of the old days. So um, I essentially wanted to start working with how do we bridge plant medicine to the modern age? What do, what, do, what do the modern people really want out of plant medicine? And it's the effectiveness and an ease of delivery and access. So we created a botanical dispensary and started growing plants, started wildcrafting plants, started tincturing plants, and then started to kind of evolve into a wide spectrum offering of how to work with the natural world. Mm -hmm. And so just to back me up a bit, like what was going on that made you feel that the, the regular way or traditional way of looking at, at health wasn't working and why did you come, come back to herbal medicine? Well, you know how the grass is always greener on the other side? <clears throat> I thought like, wow, Itchy Ben is only 25 cents a package. That's amazing, you know? But <laughs> very quickly, uh, my body being trained in a really wide spectrum of organic quality food went like, whoa, downgrade, downgrade nutrition. This does not function. You do not have optimal um, sensory perception. You don't have fuel levels at their top. Uh, quickly, my body told me this is the wrong approach. And that kind of A plus B equals C that our world tends to thrive on is not very qualitative. And so there's this loss of the qualitative data when we kind of quantify everything. And that's what I tried to do. And I realized that doesn't work for a real, like empowered life. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then you were, you were, you were all into plant medicine. And, and so I think today we want to talk about mushrooms specifically. So how did mushrooms get into, I mean, they're obviously, they're not even actually a plant, but uh, so tell me a little bit about how did you end up going to, into that route? Well, I always loved mushrooms and I think a lot of people do. There's a bit of a like 
um, Divic kingdom or a lot of fable around it. Even the story of Santa Claus really being a story of an Amanita muscaria mushroom. And right. um, it's bringing you to the level of presence that is the present that it brings. Uh, this was always interesting to me. Uh, this world of psychedelics was interesting. This world of medicinals, all of a sudden, when I was doing my herbalist program, I realized, wow, many of the mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, lion's mane, turkey tail, these top mushrooms have some of the most potent benefits for working with uh, autoimmune diseases and cancer and tumor systems and just immune um, software uh, adaptability. And I just was like really blown away by this. So about 15 years ago, we decided to move to the West Coast and um, really, I wanted to work with mushrooms and my partner. Where were you before then? Where were we you were before? in Calgary. In, um, oh, Calgary. Yeah. Well, oh my in the, yeah. So, um, you know, being a, a prairie boy, I was like, oh, I got to get to the coast. I love it. It's so lush. My mom lived out here. So moved out here. And my wife was like, you're going to kill us. Like with all these mushrooms you're so excited about, like we don't know yeah. what's poisonous, what's not. And that we call it mycophobia, but that fear of mushrooms <laughs> is um, was was part of what spurred me on to learn a lot more and get way deeper into understanding their mycology, how they show up in the environment, what they do for the world and how they can work in our body at a, a really deep and profound level. Mm -hmm. You were saying about them, you know, we have, we've always been growing up with this, don't touch that mushroom, it's very poisonous. So maybe just let's talk about that for a few minutes. Like, you know, how prevalent are these poisonous mushrooms and you don't ever eat raw mushrooms no matter what so you don't right. eat anything out there you you're you know there's a certain protocol to that and then if you learn a little of the mycology it's really easy to see oh okay gill structure versus spore pad structure versus spikes um what type of structure they are and you can really go down and, and learn a lot and be really safe with it without going too far into actually getting to be an expert you don't really need to be an expert you just need to be cautiously aware of where the po most possible dangers are. Hmm. So maybe let's go into a little bit of, of fungus biology. Do you mind taking the listeners and viewers through a little bit of that? Like what is a mushroom? And okay, so we know of mushrooms, but essentially this is like the fruit on the organism. This is like the apple on the tree. The real tree is the mycelium and the mycelium live underground. They permeate the, the like subsoils of the planet. Some go all the way down to a mile underground. So they go pretty deep, but mostly they're in the subsoils and they build relationships with all the plants. So there's something called mycorrhizal connection, which is root is rhizo, myco is mushroom or mycelium, and they bond together and form a nutrient interaction exchange where the mycelium pulls minerals out of rocks and all kinds of stuff. And the tree gives the mycelium sugar. So this is kind of the relationship that they live in. Once the, the relationship's established, the mycelium actually acts as the carbon bank of the forest. We like to think trees are, but really the mycelium is because underground there's more carbon being sequestered in sugar form in the mycelium than the trees are even sequestering. So it's this huge bank of, we'll call it the Swiss bank of the forest, right? Like they got all the cash in there, in there and then they start to fruit. So from mycelium level, it'll build these little clusters inside of itself and actually it's polarity, sort of like we are, it's got duality. It's got a plus and a minus type of mycelium and they wrap around each other like a Kundalini kind of sexual tantric experience. And they build out this little ball of energy that turns into a fruiting body. And so that's where all the mushroom sex happens in the gills, in the fruiting body. Yeah. Um, essentially they send a stock up and then they put a cap out and the cap is there to protect the gills from rain and from the elements. 
And then essentially oh. in there is where all the little spores are created. Mm -hmm. Some mushrooms can produce trillions of spores in one season. So, you know, there's quite a few billion people on the planet now. Well, one mushroom can produce, in fact, one, the giant puffball produces enough spores in one season that if everyone came to germination, it'd be a mass three times the size of our sun. Like huge amount of energy that comes out of these. Uh, and now of microscopic spores. Like, I mean, so when does the spore get released? So just, sorry, just uh, so each, get deeper each, into this. It's yeah, yeah, each mushroom is, um, is different, right? Um, but they, their caps have a bit of sensory perception, similar to how we do. They can yeah. sense when the sun is coming. So that four o'clock, five o'clock sunshine coming through the angle of the forest, they will feel that on the cap and they'll triple up their spore production, right? In that time. Yeah. And most fleshy mushrooms, which are the traditional conventional mushroom most people know of, they're yeah. going to spore for a week or two maybe, but they're going to pop up multiple heads throughout a month or so of a season. Whereas your perennial mushrooms like your conchs, some of the like artist conch and uh, the red-belted polypore and the agaricon and some of these kind of mushrooms, they will produce a new gill or I guess it's a spore pad structure on the bottom of their already intact shape. And that spore pad will then produce throughout the season, but it'll mostly predominantly be later in the season when the weather is perfect and the energy has already been uh, maximized in the mycelium underground. Right. So is it, uh, so would you say that there's one big fungus organism and all of these different species are kind of under the ground already talking to each other? Is that what's happening or? We call it the wood wide web, right? It is the internet in the forest. So there is one organism but there's actually like maybe about 200 different mycelial mats within a forest. Yes. And that and depends on there, the age right? of the forest, right? Right. Okay. So after a fire or something, forest fire, these, is this organism die as well or it remains underground and it's alive? Um, well, they retreat. So um, a quick like little uh, interesting factoid that I really liked was we are more closely related to mushrooms than we are to plants, up to 67% the same DNA that humans have. Hence why a lot of the medicinals work on us. They're actually strategies to help support their life. But just like us, they're sensitive to climate change. They're sensitive to drought. They're sensitive to too much heat. So the forest fire, yeah, will retract some of them. But other ones like the morel mushroom, it doesn't actually come until a forest fire, right? Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I heard that, yeah, the, the, the communication between plant kingdom and the fungus is you're saying through the exchange of minerals, is that what you're saying, the sugars? Well, it's this, what I said, that mycorrhizal communication is one way. So they wrap yeah. little tendrils around the roots mm -hmm. and, um, they, they transfer energy back and forth. Other mm -hmm. mushrooms are ones that just break down organic matter. Mm -hmm. So the tree mm -hmm. is holding all this carbon and it's, when it dies, some of the advantageous species will come in and eat that fiber, break it mm -hmm. down and create sugar out of that too, out of that mm -hmm. material. Okay, so let's, let's step away. Let's talk about some of the common, you know, uh, uh, healing mushrooms. You had mentioned already a couple of them. And then maybe, do you have any type of vignettes or stories about how you've seen people uh, benefit from them? I'd be really interested to hear that from that. Well, so just to take a back step, like the idea of mushrooms as medicine has been mm -hmm. around since the beginning of time. Um, mm -hmm. Many, many, many cultures have some kind of lore around this, have worked with it. You know, in China, reishi has been recorded for over 4,000 years. You know, it's mm -hmm. so there's, there's, a, there's a lot of fables, especially in Asia, around working with them. Mm -hmm. um, and 
But in the modern age, like in the last 20 years, we've seen this huge resurgence basically following chronic conditions, right? As our society becomes far further removed from its natural environment, the more uh, chronic instability we have based on the types of foods we eat and the type of information we're feeding our body, uh, we're creating these different artificial environments. It's causing different health issues. And mm -hmm. these mushrooms end up being one of the best avenues for us to start working with to tone our body and make it more resilient in this modern age. So that's gained a lot of momentum in the last mm -hmm. 20 years. And it's now a really big, big topic that a lot of people are, are really digging into. And there's a lot of information now, a lot of science on it, and a lot of um, stories of people working with them, especially for cancer treatment and that type of thing. So you think pri uh, primarily it's immune system based is effect right is that how it's helping cancer likely you know yeah. illnesses yeah and in, in canada we can only as as a like npn our, our natural product numbers the only mm -hmm. kind of claim that can actually be made is contains mm -hmm. fungal polysaccharides that support the immune system that's really the only like claim but there's so much more that they do but essentially these um just to take it base to the base science of it Mm -hmm. Many of the medicinal conchs, and the conchs mm -hmm. are the polypores, they're the wood-like mushrooms that are in the forest uh, that grow in that way that on the trees. There are many mm -hmm. of the medicinal ones, not the fleshy ones on the ground, but the ones that are growing off the trees. Mm -hmm. And they produce these polysaccharides, and that's the main active chemistry that's really working on the immune system. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, and so have you you've seen a lot of success? Have you, I mean, with regard to treating people with these types of things? Oh and yeah, it, and it's not just me. Like so many, there's so much, so many stories around this. Mm -hmm. Even like like we sell medicinal mushrooms, and I have like at least a dozen vets, and what they mm -hmm. say about the stories around dogs working with them and cats who who have a shorter lifespan than us. But also get cancer because mm -hmm. we feed them the same kind of crap we feed ourselves. <laughs> so there, right. there's more right. incidents of that than their their native diet would have been, um, but uh, we see a lot of success that way. And and just to, I'll, I'll just want to touch in on what these fungal polysaccharides are for a second, so you can kind of understand how they might affect the immune system and how they might work for our our benefit. Yeah. So sugar is the number one street drug on the planet. Right? Everyone's yes. addicted to sugar in some form. Every organism needs cash, they need energy, right? They need mm -hmm. this momentum to keep life going, but we want this slow trickle of sugar, AKA let our body decide how to deliver the sugar, not get the fast cash injection of the slurpy, big gulp, whatever that kind of form of sugar is. Mm -hmm. What the fungal polysaccharides do is they take sugar and they've, they've essentially made it into a polysaccharide instead of these kind of disaccharides like sucrose is. And this is not just like if every carbon chain was a chair, this is like thousands upon thousands of chairs, like a whole coliseum all built into this really interesting articulate structure. And what the body mm -hmm. does is it uses this huge macro sugar as a mapping system that supports immuno intelligence. So the immune system mm -hmm. itself ends up being able to be more savvy at recognizing disease state and imbalances. So all disease comes from a state of imbalance or stagnation or flow blockage at some mm -hmm. level. There's some kind of blockage mm -hmm. that creates all disease. And the fungal polysaccharides, these huge Aztec glyph-like molecules, mm -hmm. help the immune system see, see that kind of stagnation and work around it and be more adaptive to it. So that's the main base. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in every one of these these um, these main immunomodulating mushrooms. And the stuff that you get at the grocery store, like the simple button mushrooms, does that have any nutritional value or have effect positive health benefits? Yeah, you know, there's actually some, um, there is some nutritional value to those, you know, and, and even actually oyster mushrooms being one you can mm-hmm. get at a grocery store. Um, mm-hmm. You've probably heard of statin drugs before, I'm sure. Yes. Like love a statin mm-hmm. and these kind of things. These are, these are all like cholesterol medicine. Sure. They're originally derived from the oyster mushroom itself. So that mushroom eaten can be really good for balancing and regulating our cholesterol build in the body in that sense. Mm-hmm. So there is some from also your traditional button mushrooms. There's a bit of blood sugar stabilizing qualities to them. They mm-hmm. are essentially mm-hmm. not that potent though, um, but there there is some some benefit to them. But it's, it's also the, the challenge with many of the fleshy mushrooms Mm-hmm. is that they also exacerbate a common fungal condition that happens in the modern world, which is called candida. And nowadays, so many people are becoming more hyper aware of uh, fungal overload in their gut via the candida versus the um, acidophilus bifidus cultures that mm-hmm. um, those fleshy mushrooms can make that worse, whereas the, the, the branch polysaccharides in the medicinal mushrooms, like the reishi and the shiitake and the, um, and the turkey tail and the chaga, those all are antifungal, so they actually help oh. deal with candida. Oh, that's a very important thing what you're saying. So the, basically, so many people are suffering from bacterial overgrowth or fungal overgrowth, right? From the gut. You're saying that these fleshy mushrooms might be not helping, but medicinal mushrooms could be actually working in yeah. against it. And yeah. you got to think about it the way the mushroom thinks, is it built a strategy to not get other fungal infections. So mm-hmm. its antifungal qualities are just being imparted onto us, so it doesn't get other infections, and neither do we as much, right? Does it matter dried versus uh, fleshy? I mean, you know, when you go to the grocery store, what should, what should somebody be looking for when they want to purchase mushrooms? Yeah, so essentially you want to look for the shiitakes and the oysters. Those are the two mm-hmm. best ones. Both of them mm-hmm. have some medicinal qualities. Your regular mm-hmm. conventional button mushroom or your portobello mushroom are not mm-hmm. really very medicinal in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, the best one, though, you can get this in many Chinatowns and in a various places is lion's mane mushroom. You can buy that fresh, and it's very tasty. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And they also have a lot of minerals as well, right? These the mushrooms as well. They do. They sequester minerals, but you got to know that it's the mycelium that's really holding the minerals. The mushroom is only about sex, essentially, for the mushroom. Like it's about procreation, so it's more holding a different type of chemistry than you'll see in a lot of the mycelium. Um, mm-hmm. But you are getting minerals out of out of them. You just you get better uh, hormonal type compounds, steroidal backboned compounds, which are very effective at some of the antivirals, some of the blood sugar stabilizing qualities that you see in the shiitake and mm-hmm. uh, the chaga mushroom in particular. Mm-hmm. Just before we get onto those mushrooms, is uh, sometimes mushrooms are going go bad, looks like they get moldy. So is that just a different type of mold that's come out that's probably makes it unhealthy, no? That's a secondary mold usually, yeah. So okay. don't eat those. Don't eat those. <laughs> also, cook all mushrooms. People don't always cook their button mushrooms, but if right. you cook them properly, you'll digest them properly. And you don't really digest them very well. Um, therefore, that's when they're even worse for candida. Perfect. Okay, so let's let's move on to uh, the reishi mushrooms, cordyceps, uh, lion's mane, uh, shagas. And I'd love to hear more. Just t- maybe take us through some of these mushrooms. and Sure. Then uh, that'd be great. 
Yeah, well, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of some of these mushrooms. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll start with reishi. Uh, it mm-hmm. is the most famous mushroom in the world. Actually, um, it's also one of the most heavily studied organisms on the planet. More money has been spent studying reishi mushroom than any mm-hmm. herb, more than turmeric even. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's almost all in Chinese, uh, a lot in Japanese, some in Russian, some in German. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. North America doesn't tend to spend money on studying. They spend it all on marketing. So, Mm -hmm. so we don't, um, see that here as much, but in Asia, this mushroom has like, like I said before, 4,000 years of history. It was the main, um, on the emperor's throne in the forbidden city. It was this giant golden reishi, right? This is essentially, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. So they really believe in this mushroom and Mm -hmm. um, all the monks use this mushroom. The, The Buddhist monks would often use it as a, one name it's been given is meditation in a bottle um, mm-hmm. because it brings you back into harmony, into your body, right? And so they would use it in this way. And in the modern world, what we see and what the Chinese sort of fable is to protect the academic from their own brain, mm-hmm. to protect us from ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. So it's grounding, right? It brings us back into what we call coherence with mm-hmm. ourselves and mm-hmm. um, organizing the, the world inside of us to be um, in alignment with the world outside of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with that, okay. we've got things like ADD. You've got any kind of out of balance arrhythmia, like heart palpitations, uh, mm-hmm. asthma, allergies, uh, any of these kind of um, hyper or hypo states when the body goes into shock, uh, reishi is grounding, right? It's bringing someone back into their body somebody's uh traumatized it's very helpful that way but really what i see in the modern world is many of us have cell phones many of us have screens these are slightly out of body experiences and reishi can really benefit us by bringing us back into our body after screen time literally Hmm. that's so interesting and okay and the next one so because i have a couple of questions after this about how we're gonna how do you actually get how do we actually get these mushrooms but Oh, I could spend uh, this, I could spend an hour talking about just reishi, you know, because it's also (laughs) hepatoprotective, it's also immunomodulating, anti-tumoral, it's got all these other qualities too, but um, yeah, but anyway, that's my favorite. I think, I actually have an 18-year-old daughter named reishi, so uh, you can tell. (laughs) You really are a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Chaga is the next most famous mushroom, although lion's mane is really taking taking a big stand these days. So I'll talk about chaga for a second. Sure. This one's really cool because it's not really a fruiting body. It's what's mm-hmm. called a sclerotia, and it grows on right. the outside of a birch tree, almost in where a wound would be. So if a tree loses a branch, the chaga will grow back in that place to heal it. And what they found is trees that have chaga on them actually live longer than trees that don't. That's like a big semicircle, right? Is that is the that one? Yeah, okay. it's like a black... Um, it looks yeah. like it almost was a, a infection, but it's actually right. part of the birch forest immune system. So it helps the trees live longer in a type mm. of forest that is short-lived. Chaga mm. is almost one of the birch tree strategies to maintain longevity in a way. Mm. And so it's more symbiotically working with it, whereas reishi is eating the tree. Chaga is actually protecting the tree in that sense. What does a reishi look like? Reishi look like? Well, um, the most common, I mean, I got a bunch over here I could go grab, but (laughs) the most common shape is like a half horseshoe almost with many semicircles inside. And that's a reddish? Yeah, it's a red, it's a red. The one that I have near here is called red varnish conch and it's a very beautiful mushroom. 
So okay, mm-hmm. and so Shaga's uh, the health benefits similar immune immune modulator immune modulating adaptogen. of course, but um, yeah. there's something in Chaga that they found called um, well it's got high levels of SOD or superoxide dismutase, right. and this yeah. is one of the best free radical scavengers we know of. So mm-hmm. super antioxidant, uh, way off the ORAC ch- chart as like top mm-hmm. antioxidant we know, but mm-hmm. it's also got a lot of these like. Uh, anti-inflammatory qualities. So I love it for sore throats and digestive system. I love it in the winter months when like people are getting sick, just drink chaga tea. It's very delicious. It's got some betulinic acid from the birch tree concentrated in the outer part of it. And that's really antiviral. And again, just like a really potent um, ally for helping deal with pathogenic organisms. Okay. And, uh, and cordyceps? Well, cordyceps is, um, it's an interesting one, right? Because it comes out of the Himalayan mountains. It's a little silkworm with a mushroom growing out of it. Now, there are many different kinds of cordyceps. They actually grow out of bugs like beetles. I've seen them out of, uh, out of tarantulas even, um, ants, lots of different animals or, or insects, really. Um, oh, so cordyceps just comes out of, a, out of an animal? It comes an out insect. of a caterpillar, yeah. Oh my goodness. So it's not vegetarian. <laughs> Although, I'll tell you, it's very rare to get the wild cordyceps, like these actual okay. ones. Nowadays, it's grown on a mycelial mat like many mushrooms. So it's oh. grown on a rice or an oat or a grain stock. So it is all vegetarian. If you're buying it in the market, you're buying a vegetarian mushroom. But if you're going to mm-hmm. buy the real cordyceps, it's about $16,000 a pound. And um, it's very, very expensive. <laughs> But you're not actually eating the caterpillar. Like you're eating the like the excrement of the caterpillar. I don't understand. How is it made from the caterpillar? You are eating a caterpillar. I mean, like oh, I've I've got some right here. I mean, it's hard. I'll okay, just... show show us. Look at this. Yeah, okay, it looks like a caterpillar. See, that's a caterpillar. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, it's got a fruiting body that's coming out of the head of the caterpillar, and yeah. its little spore pads are on the top. This is a wild cordyceps, so this is not what you'd buy conventionally in a in a in a product. But mm-hmm. uh, these were, you know, these were like I said, I think these were about ten thousand dollars a pound. <laughs> that was pretty pretty expensive uh, little organism. Mm-hmm. But really, like, why? Why would we eat this? Well, like, it comes out of the Himalayan mountains, and mm-hmm. they use it for altitude sickness. But really, what it does is it opens up the bronchioles. It gets better mm-hmm. oxygenation flow into the body. Mm-hmm. So people who are athletes get less lactic acid buildup in their muscles, mm-hmm. so less burn mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. cardiovascular output. So mm-hmm. it gives you more endurance and more stamina mm-hmm. because of that, but it also supports mm-hmm. the adrenals and the sexual virility of men anyway. Um, mm-hmm. It increases the blood flow everywhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> in that sense. Um, so it's yeah. like aphrodisiac, even though it looks gnarly and weird, um, mm-hmm. it works that way. But really the main benefit is deeper oxygenation to the cells and mm-hmm. adrenal support in fight or flight or stress response. I just want to go a little bit of a tangent. You know, I have a uh, East Indian, South, in- uh, South Indian background and, you know, mushrooms are not in any of our cuisines. So I'm just kind of curious about how come in certain cultures they're eating mushrooms and in Indian food, we don't even see any of it. So. Why do you think that is? I don't know. It's the other side of the Himalayas from China. So like yeah. where they, they eat it like crazy, like mushrooms are in everything there. Yeah, that's right. I feel like um, in some cases, 
there has been a lot of phobia around mushrooms because yeah. like the thing about mushrooms is we don't know them because they just pop out of nowhere, right? Whereas mm -hmm. plants, you see them all year long. So you kind of get familiar. Oh yeah, there it goes. Now it's in flower. Now it's a leaf. Now it's in fruit. Whereas a mushroom, you're like, it's not there. It's not there. And then boom, it's there. So it sort of scares us a little bit because yeah, uh, yeah. we don't know it. We don't, we don't have a relationship with it. So I, I think mm -hmm. that's why you don't find it in some cultures. Mm-hmm. Especially like Indian is, is very vegetarian culture. So you yeah, think, that, think that they'd want to eat this. Exactly. Yeah, they want to make use of that. Right. Uh, let's move on to um, uh, lion's mane. Yeah. Well, I like this mushroom a lot. Lion's mm -hmm. mane is tasty, but it's mm -hmm. also one of the best mushrooms for the modern age. Like really, really it, it is. It, it should be in every biohacker's like guy. Yeah, nootropic, right? Like it's a big brain. Uh, brain yeah. Hacker. I like to joke that I can't remember what it's good for because it's good <laughs> for memory. <laughs> You've probably been taking it up then. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Um, but uh, it's it's actually shown to stimulate nerve growth factors and actually get mm. the brain and any mm. nervous system to regenerate, which was mm. something that for a long time people didn't really think we could regenerate nerve cells to that level. Mm. But lion's mane mm. sort of shown to be the best neuroregenerative and neurorestorative of anything we know of. So. They're using it in all kinds of Parkinson's and MS and now dementia and Alzheimer's mm -hmm. are starting to work with. Mm -hmm. I though mostly see it in, in my world and with the people I like to work with in, in giving people a little bit of an edge mm -hmm. into remembering better, into pulling things from deep in the back of their brain to the front of their brain, mm -hmm. in keeping organized, in, in also elevating their mood. So I've seen it mm -hmm. helpful for as a little bit of an antidepressant in the winter months eat a bunch of lion's mane and it supports the nervous system firing at a higher level. Mm -hmm. I saw somebody uh, recommending its use in combination with psychedelics. Have you s seen people doing that, like mixing it together to make the, maybe the, the whole effect better? It's become more classic now. I think Paul Stamets talked about that. And um, mm -hmm. there's that's something we've been working with a little while now, um, looking at that mm -hmm. idea. So. But the idea is, is not for getting people high, the psychedelics mm -hmm. in the use of uh, flow state in the, in the sense of like quarter gram dosage or lower to yeah. really um, spark a sensory gating um, opening. So for the channels mm -hmm. of our perception to be a little wider than normal, mm -hmm. but still maintain real high level of cognitive function, the lion's mm -hmm. mane can support that um, in mm -hmm. the nerve uh, pathways regenerating and creating new neural pathways. That's the concept mm -hmm. of flow state pills or um, psychedelics at the micro dosing is mm -hmm. to generate new nerve uh, pathways between parts of the brain that weren't connected before. Right. And this lion's mane would help with that as well. Yeah. So it just, yeah. it amps it up. So you, cause, mm -hmm. cause really, you know, there's, it comes up, there's a very fine threshold with the psychedelics. It's the same with the cannabis thing. Like everyone says it's medicinal, but there's a fine mm -hmm. threshold. Like, so is turmeric. Turmeric's medicinal, but it doesn't get you high. So yeah. you're not excited about it the way you know, it's like the, the, the flow states and this kind of um, psychedelic sort of uh, nouveau gentrification that's happening in the yeah, in yeah. the um, in the urban hipster world <laughs> is, is really because it gets you a little bit high. But if you if you take that part out of it and you go to the actual mm -hmm. proper dose, it's really mm -hmm. about changing the neural pathways and taking mm -hmm. like 0.1 of a gram to 0.25 of a gram and you never really yeah. get high. And you yeah. do this every third day. You don't do it all the time, right? It, mm -hmm. it rebuilds and it's this slow growth in that. And there's some huge benefits to that. I, just as a segue, like 
a lot of people who are coming to the end of a, of life have, mm-hmm. who have done this this therapy mm-hmm. of taking this it really mm-hmm. helps them deal with the the death process a lot of people right. who are severely depressed and just can't get out of the clouds um, and just are just dragging their feet in life it really helps them see something bigger something mm-hmm. more in their life so there's some places like that that this is a really powerful medicine to to mm-hmm. to work with yeah, I think this whole piece of palliative care, we're seeing it now. There's a lot of interest in how we can apply it in, in that uh, that sphere. Yeah, and um, with that whole revolution that's happening with with marijuana these days, I feel mm-hmm. like uh, mycelial, both medicinal mushrooms and the psychotropal restoratives at the microdose level um, mm-hmm. are, are, are the next thing to really bridge some of the healing that pot's promising is not going to happen yeah. for everybody. But some of these medicinal mushrooms could really support that in a much bigger way for them. So it's yeah. they go they go well together. Exactly. Okay. And then the last one, I think turkey tail. Yeah, turkey tail is the the this is one of the most famous mushrooms in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, but people in North America don't know it as well. And yet it is the one that's the easiest for them to find in their forests. It looks like a well, a Coriolis or Trimedes versicolor. Looks like a turkey's tail with multiple colors on the, the fan of the of the mushroom, and it's it's very small. It's uh grows in like fifty to a hundred at a time. These big sheets of it, I see. Sometimes you only get a couple, but it's easy to recognize once you know it. Uh, mm-hmm. And this mushroom is one of the most antiviral mushrooms we know. Really good for protecting the liver. It's yeah. also really good for um, supporting the body going through chemotherapy and going through mm-hmm. radiation toxicity or even just airport travel a lot you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's got a great i guess uh protective quality against radiation so they're using it in japan as a big piece of their cancer treatments because of that and it has been now for a long time hence a lot of studying being done on it in asia mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like wow this one up to 400 times better recovery rate from chemotherapy that's huge huge numbers so mm-hmm. powerful mushroom immunosupportive again hepatoprotective and just an easy one for you to actually find in your woods. Right. Okay, so we've gone through the mushrooms, like the different mushrooms now. Maybe just take us, okay, if you ever were to have an actual mushroom, how do you how do you recommend one could actually uh, consume it? How do you prepare it? And Totally. So there's lots of different ways. Um, but I'll tell mm-hmm. you just first, the science mostly supports taking multi-mushroom formulas. Uh, you okay. can do all the singles. So often what I'll do is I'll get somebody to say they want to take reishi because they're like, wow, I'm really ungrounded. I got ADD. Mm. I can't think properly. I would get mm. them to take reishi and a mushroom combination together. So they got the benefit of the, the wider spectrum plus double up on the reishi dosage. Same with lion's mane, same with cordyceps. I, I do that mm-hmm. kind of, that's the way I would like to see people take them is take like the one in larger okay. mouth, but a little bit of a multi-mushroom. Uh, you can take them in many forms. You can't eat them, right? Like this is like wood, this mushroom. If I put it in my mouth, yeah. are, are, it's not yeah. edible, right? Exactly. So you gotta right. get the medicine out of it in some way, right? And mm-hmm. what's holding it back is, because it's this woody substance, it's these lignans and chitin. And chitin is like the exoskeletons of insects. Lignans are the fibers like wood. You mm. need to break this down. Both of them are broken down with hot water. So many right, right. of the Chinese medicine method is to chop it up into as much surface area as you can get. So either powdered mm-hmm. or chopped fine and then mm-hmm. decoct it or simmer it. Mm-hmm. Chaga is a great example of this. It's easy to break down chaga into small chunks and lightly simmer it. 
You can then rebrew chaga tea like four or five times to get more out of it. So you can keep brewing it up, giving it like 20 minutes to an hour for each brew. Okay. And that's really the easiest way to do it. Teas essentially um, are usually like one gram or really one teaspoon of mm -hmm. whatever it is to a mm -hmm. full cup. That's really how much you measure out. So like a one to 200 almost would be the ratio. Sorry, are you saying, so one the mushroom, you're saying one gram of the mushroom for 200 grams of water. Is that what you're 200 saying? Milliliters 200 milliliters of water, yeah. 200 milliliters, yeah. Essentially, so, that'll be your, yeah. your basic tea. But it's, you know, when we make concentrated. It, I mean, it's it's pretty, it looks like very dilute, actually. I mean, it's It sounds how, diluted, but if you think yeah. about putting chamomile, like tea bag into a cup, you got like a mm -hmm. one to 400 there, you know? Right. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, makes sense. And, um, but you want to simmer it, and it just depends, like, when we're making a tincture, we do the same method because we mm -hmm. want to simmer it, but there's also mm -hmm. alcohol-soluble compounds and that's right. those are different. But mm -hmm. instead of doing a one to 200, like I was mm -hmm. saying, we would do a one to five. So we got one gram for five milliliters. Now that's really thick, super thick wow. tea. It's like a dark kind of thick, kind of congealed thing. You see, I mean, for those of you on video, you can see behind me, like I've got tinctures yeah like this it. right it's like yeah. that kind of concentration where it's all herb matter and just that much liquid just water that's just water in there or oil this one's actually a vinegar because it's a horsetail okay. vinegar and then a nettle vinegar okay. but some of them are oil here i've got some syrups and some tinctures well this one's mm -hmm. straight alcohol um but you'll see okay. the herb is like yeah. all the way to the top so one to five is okay if we can make a more concentrated version water you can uh, make up to one to five water. as a tea but yeah. it's, it's not gonna be a very tasty tea. You're gonna wanna make it at least one to like 15 or 20, you know, to make a thick, oh, like that's about okay. the max you wanna go if you're gonna drink it. Mm -hmm. But with this, what we end up doing is we then put them into tincture bottles and we're just taking mm -hmm. smaller amounts, right? We're gonna mm -hmm. take two droppers full, about 20 to 30 drops. So we're mm -hmm. trying to take what would be in a whole teacup that we might get from that one to 200 and put it into 30 right. drops. Yeah, I had your cordyceps. I was taking the wild cordyceps bottle uh, for quite a while, and I guess that's what it was exactly, right? It was this. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, but that's one thing. So that breaks down the lignans, and that mm -hmm. gets you those polysaccharides, that right. immunomodulating quality. Now, many yeah. of them in the fruiting bodies, they have those hormonal compounds, so mm -hmm. you need alcohol to extract those. Those are the steroidal mm -hmm. kind of compounds. So you make mm -hmm. a, con a conventional tincture, same thing. You just take that same one to five tea and you make a one right. to five tincture with a 60, 70% alcohol. And then you put the two yeah. together and that makes your, what's called a dual extract or a decoction ethanol extract. And it's not hard to do. There's actually YouTube videos on it. There's plenty of mm -hmm. ways to like learn this if you're interested. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But essentially, if you're buying a mushroom tincture, Make sure yeah. it's been dual extracted. Like it's been, you got both those compounds in it. You're not just getting the just alcohol soluble compounds because you're missing out on many of the polysaccharides. So sorry, you do it with the water first, and then you then you take the same thing and then put it with alcohol, or do you do? Well, it you can do it in both orders. You can do it the alcohol first and then the water. But if you do the mm -hmm. water first and then the alcohol, you need two weeks for the alcohol to macerate. So you got to freeze the water part. Right, because oh. it'll go bad without the alcohol to preserve it. So yeah, 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 makes sense. Okay. At our shop, sense. what we do is we just make an alcohol soluble section. Like we do a, we mm -hmm. make a conventional tincture, and then every time mm -hmm. we want to make a product, we mm -hmm. decoct it and then add it into a batch of alcohol. 
Sounds good. So maybe let's let's talk about harmonic arts. I mean, you've made it now so accessible for uh, people like myself and, and other Canadians. Yeah. Well, before we do that, I want to tell you about yeah. one really exciting product we yes. have at Harmonic yes. Arts that is... Yeah, um, yeah, tell me. It's beyond... So the T and the tincture are one way. My mm -hmm. favorite way has been to do a dual extracted powder, which is what we are doing now. And it's just these mushrooms are totally upgraded way beyond what the tincture or the tea can offer or even just a conventional powder because there's other conventional powders out there that are a powdered mm -hmm. mushroom. But uh, what this is, is it's basically taking that tincture method of doing the decoction and the alcohol mm -hmm. extraction and then mm -hmm. simmering that down in a vacuum mm -hmm. so that it boils off at room temperature. It's still kind of mm -hmm. like at that room temperature, raw temperature boiled down to a powder. Mm -hmm. So it's like a juice powder of mm -hmm. a tincture. This gets you a concentration of, remember how we said one to five? Well, yeah. now we flip the, the, the ratios and we've got like five to one or seven to one or 12 to one. So 12 grams of actual mushroom go into one gram of this powder. And that becomes quite a bit more effective because it's instantly absorbable in water. And mm -hmm. it's just something you can put in coffee, you can put in tea, you can put in soup, put in oatmeal. I hide it in my, my kids' food all the time as a powder form. Wow, so just do you have any just to show on camera? But yeah, because uh, well, I think I had, I'm just wondering if that's what I've seen before or is this something completely new? Is this a new product? No, no, or? this is what you saw. Oh, this is, um, okay, but, show like, me, there's show a, that. let me just see if I have a spoon here. Yeah. Um, so I've got a, I got a jar here. Um, uh, let's, let's take the five mushroom. Yeah. And essentially, jar of the mushrooms. Five mushroom, yep. Okay, got it. And you would only need like that yeah. much. So mm -hmm. just like a half a tablespoon or half a teaspoon, essentially. Yeah. You take one to two grams of the powder and that's the equivalent of a, of a pretty significant dose. So that's like one to 200 milligrams of, or one to 2000 milligrams mm -hmm. um, is a real dose of a 12 to one extract. Mm -hmm. And that, I'm just gonna eat some right now. Um, just have it plain, just like that, straight. I, I love it like that. Like that's my favorite way because I, here's the thing, your body is designed to tell your brain what's going on when your tongue samples things, when it experiences that kind of um, setup, it knows how to make the body function better. So mm -hmm. it's really important that we try, we taste all the things we eat, even capsules. Mm -hmm. When people are taking capsules, I highly recommend yeah. they open them up open it. and just taste it. At least once, mm. you know, I do a That's talk about this and it, you wouldn't believe like every time I go like, how many of you have ever like tasted a B vitamin and yeah. nobody's ever tasted a B vitamin. They've all yeah. taken like hundreds of B vitamins over the last five, six years, but they yeah. never actually, they don't actually know what's going in their body at a sensory perception level. So I, mm. I get people to just open up a B capsule and just touch their tongue to it so they know what it is so their body is aware of it you, once you do you're like whoa there's a reason that's in a capsule it's not very tasty but at least your body now knows what's going in it and it can be more easily digested and absorbed and that's really a, the key piece a lot of people are spending a lot of money on supplements and they're just mm -hmm. not breaking them down they're just not actually getting the the nutrition that they think they are because mm -hmm. their body's not assimilating it properly so, I mean, most mushrooms are quite bitter, but do you, after some time, start to tell the difference? 
Yeah, well, I can I can mushrooms. definitely um, hone in and taste the difference on many of the different mushrooms. All of them have a unique flavor. I'd say mm -hmm. lion's mane is the tastiest. Cordyceps is pretty delicious. Reishi is definitely bitter, um, mm -hmm. but turkey tail is pretty bland. Chaga has a a lot of depth, and it's got some vanillic acid in it, so it's got a bit of a vanilla, deep, almost coffee-like. Mm. All of them, to me, taste a bit like Ovaltine, or like mm. a coffee substitute, like Inca, or something like, or Dandy Blend, or something like that, mm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, mm. Okay. Uh, tell us about, I, I mean, my wife and I were big fans of the teas you have, the Divine Feminine, Divine Masculine. Uh, yeah. Do you want to just talk about those ones, or...? Are those are those a super concentrated stuff or those that's tea powder? What is the difference? Yeah, well, I actually got a couple right here. Our, our okay. Divine Feminine Sacred Masculine. These yes. two products, um, the Divine yep. Feminine Sacred Masculine, are herbal regeneratives, essentially yes. tonics that support yep. the immune system and restoring balance in the body. Mm -hmm. They're the kind of products I always wanted to make because they really um, work with that that kind of culture that wants to that is healthy but wants to be more resilient, more regenerative, uh, more adaptive, and more responsive to their to their environment. So mm -hmm. the uh, Divine Feminine is more about like balance, support, uh, mm -hmm. glow, radiance, um, kind of mm -hmm. almost a beauty, but more of like a hormonal toning. And then mm -hmm. um, some herbs like Shizandra in there that really support the body in toning, as well as a brown seaweed extract, which is like the mermaid version of the mushrooms, that's mm -hmm. not um, got the high iodine for the thyroid, but it's more mm -hmm. got those amino polysaccharides from the brown seaweeds, which is really cool. I really like that. Ashwagandha, Shatavari, these are two uh, very well-known herbs that have more stamina building, more energy building. Mm -hmm. Goji berry, maca, um, more kind of, again, toning and supporting the energy systems of the body. And then a lotus pollen finish, which I just love. A little ginger in there too because we need some kind of circulatory stimulant. Ginger is that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. love this product. It's actually my favorite is the Divine Feminine. My wife, okay. her favorite is the Sacred Masculine. So we've kind of got ourselves flipped on that. But um, this was just really fun because it's the Sacred Masculine is more adrenal uh, tonic. And we actually right. see a lot of women really like this product because it supports that, that adrenal fatigue, adrenal burnout. And in the modern world, we have these women who are kicking butt. Like they're out there uh, just championing so much in the world right now. It's really cool to see uh, this uprising of uh, feminine uh, power and empowerment in, in our world. And I just, I'm just so stoked to see some of these ladies who are doing some amazing things, yet their bodies were not designed to go on a hunt for six days without food till they hunted and tracked down an animal and brought it back. That's a that's a like testosterone geared type of body, so we see Same more way. adrenal burnout. Even though they can do it, they they need more support adrenally. So that's why I've seen this blend really work well for for a lot of women, is because mm -hmm. they're they're like mother truckers and they're ready to do it, but they mm -hmm. they uh they need a little bit of support sometimes, and that's got things like Eleuthero, um, Siberian ginseng. It's got uh, um, Hishuwu or Fo Tea, which is a, mm -hmm. a root for kidney adrenal support. It's got the Cordyceps mushroom we talked about. It's right. got the Reishi mushroom, so grounding, but also opening the bronchioles and working with stress and fight or flight. It's got um, a pine pollen in it, which is more androgens that support the build of testosterone, but also our antioxidants and a lot of support that way. 
And it's got a little bit of licorice and cayenne, sort of harmonizing and a little spice to get the circulation going, as well as something called shilajit, which is this really cool mineral pitch. It comes out of Ayurvedic medicine. Um, mm -hmm. Really neat. The name is rock warrior in Sanskrit. And that really just means like the invincible rock person who is protected mm -hmm. and has a lot of energy and is um, just fortified in that way. So, mm -hmm. Awesome. And then uh, you have a tea that's like a cardamom based tea or has some cardamom in it. That's a bit of a nootropic formula, more designed with the lion's mane base to support the brain and brain function. Um, love that one. That's in our elixir line. So we have six different elixirs. Uh, and this is essentially a herbal latte. So right. it's kind of like taking coffee culture and smoothie culture and putting yeah. them together to like really nutritionally dense and fortifying, but in a warm beverage, which works awesome for Canada. I mean, yeah. that's something at Harmonic Arts we've been really trying to champion for the last five to 10 years is let's bring something for Canadians that is like yeah. warm and really nutritious, but also tastes good. So mm -hmm. that one Elevate is about brain. It's yeah. got Makuna purines, which is the happy bean that helps support dopamine production in the body. It's got 15% mm -hmm. L-dopa in, in that. Mm -hmm. It's a huge amount for a natural herb. Um, so it's the happy bean. It's a good one. It also supports serotonin, melatonin balance. Mm -hmm. And it's got a lot of pollens in it, the lotus and the green tea pollen. And from the pollen world, this is just really cool. A lot of people don't realize this, but every part of the plant that is in the sexual reproductive function of the plant has some of the best chemistry the plant can produce. Just like us, we put a lot of energy into our mating rituals and our reproduction. Plants put a lot of energy into the reproductive cycle. So a lot of antioxidants, a lot of... Um, potent chemistry that we find right. in pollens that are just delicious. Yeah. Where do you think mushrooms are going in the future? I, I feel like this whole field um, has already started to gravitate towards food is thy medicine and medicine is thy food, where people are now wanting to see, like there's whole sections in health food stores that are powders and um, like add-ins to drinks and this is why I really like the um, dual extracted mushroom powders because they're super functional for the modern age. Um, mm. What we're doing next and we've just started putting out is a medicinal mushroom chocolate bar that's coming out. Oh my God. You'll see it at oh CHFA. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, so um, putting them into chocolate, putting them in, we do a hot chocolate. We do like a mushroom yeah. hot chocolate. Yeah. That kind of format that makes them easy for people to access mm -hmm. um, is really where they're going. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. The biggest thing though, is that our health in general is not getting better. Uh, it's, it's un unfortunately our, and you, if you've been on any like Netflix or anything, you've seen a hundred documentaries now on like fat and getting fatter or like, yeah, like, exactly. like just food um, toxicity or all this stuff. So we, we kind of are informed, but um, at the same time, we need these things. We need these restoratives. We need these um, high quality nutrients to really bring the body back to functional, optimal performance. And a lot of people like the biohacker community are really leading edge of this, that growing edge of like, how do we actually optimize the way in which our body functions and therefore um, be more resilient and be able to like have the kind of life we want. Cause we all want to be healthy. Nobody wants to get sick. Um, mm. And I'll tell you, the biggest thing that people don't realize is that they are an ecosystem and it's not about like anything other than fortifying your ecosystem, build mm -hmm. it up with more 
balance with more diversity. So the more diverse you go with your foods, the more diverse you go with your herbs and your mushrooms and support the body with na nature's intelligence, the more resilient you become. And that's to me the best biohack ever is to actually just work on hacking the microbiome first off, get a good ecology going, get a good outside defensive chi protective energy field um, and, and you're golden. Like, I really believe, and I wrote an article once called Resilience on a Polluted Planet. I believe right, that right. we can totally handle way more than most of us do because mm -hmm. we're, our immune systems are way wimpier than they, they could be. They can be quite a bit more powerful. And myself, I don't really get sick. If I get sick, it's actually I'm irritable, leave me alone for the day, and I'm good tomorrow. <laughs> that's about it. And that's been seven, eight years, and I'm, I'm not alone. I know a lot of people now who have been on this kind of resiliency path and mm -hmm. their, their bodies are very responsive and adaptive. So I, I think that's kind of where we're going is, mm -hmm. um, I'll say from, and a friend of mine, a guy named Daniel Vitalis uh, coined this term, yeah. um, homo sapien domesticatus fragilis, essentially <laughs> is what, what we are. It's what we are, we're this fr fragile domesticated version. Right. Um, and where we're going with health is more homo sapien resilientatus. I don't know, but something like you, So you're holding out hope. You feel that we are going in the right direction? I feel this that some like understanding of what true health is, is growing in awareness in mm -hmm. people. And even the like incidents of things like yoga and Tai Chi and these, these ancient practices brought back to the surface, we're seeing the same with herbs, with plant medicine, with the medicinal mushrooms. They're being brought back to people's awareness as the new food they're not just like because i'm sick they're actually because i'm healthy and getting healthier is it possible you think that we're seeing uh the fungi kingdom under attack like with the environmental collapse like uh you know that you know we're losing diversity of fungi and maybe it's difficult for you to even source yeah. these wild fungi like are you concerned about that i'm concerned yeah. about our wild um stands of especially chaga um, and mm -hmm. some of the other ones, because people are over harvesting them. I'm also concerned yeah. about loss of forest ecosystems. There's one mushroom in particular called a Garicon. It's one of my mm -hmm. very favorite mushrooms, most antiviral substance on the planet. Powerful, mm -hmm. powerful, but it grows only in old growth forests. And mm -hmm. I live on Vancouver Island, which is like supposedly forest capital. We have 1%, right. 1% old growth forest on this island left. You know, wow. and that's quantified as something that's 400 years or older. So here's a mushroom that only grows in this one kind of ecosystem. The US military spent millions of dollars researching this mushroom for its use against biological warfare because it's like the most powerful antiviral on the planet. Mm -hmm. And um, it doesn't grow in the wild because we've lost most of the wild. So the ones that are growing in labs are just nowhere near as potent. Um, oh, so, you know, there's, yeah. there's things like that that I'm concerned about. But these are like the ennobled kings of the species, right? They're like the top of the food chain in the mycelial network or world. I'm not worried about like button mushrooms and oyster mushrooms and what I would call the bioremediator mushrooms. They're actually cleaning up the pollution on the planet as well. So there's a lot of study now done around using mushrooms as healing our planet. And I think what something that um, Paul Stammet really shares that I really love this idea just to sort of wrap my brain around is that those species in history that have aligned with the fungal kingdom mm -hmm. are the ones that are around today, are the ones that were most resilient in times of change. And so you look, as you look at trees that adapted with this mycelial connection, those are the yeah. ones that, that 
stabilized and and helped and that survived. There's a lot of ways humans can become more resilient by working with mushrooms. And it's not just as the medicine, it's also as the food, it's also as building materials, it's also as um, bioremediation and pulling out toxins from the environment. Uh, it's it's just so much more that we can we can do with them to regenerate and destroy our plastics. There's my, mycelial nets now that are able to handle digesting plastics, uh, mm -hmm. carbon fuels, uh, diesel waste, you know. So there's a lot of ways that if we take the time to just like put this as a focus as a human race, we might mm -hmm. see that the mycelial kingdom already has the answers we're looking for to help heal this planet. And I mean, we could have started at the very introduction that antibiotics penicillin comes from a, from a type of fungus. 60% of our pharmaceuticals were originally derived from funguses. Like that's a huge amount. Most of the pharmaceuticals now, many of them were then patented and turned into straight chemistry, but the actual right. like organic re-engineering, reverse engineering came from mm -hmm. looking at funguses. And the reason is, is they're older and wiser than us, right? They've been right. on this planet. They've dealt with pathogenic organisms for a long time, way before us. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they impart that knowledge on us because we're self-similar to them. And that's just, right. just like, aha, this is really how they work. They teach us what they've already learned, how to deal with pathogenic organisms on this planet. So I think it's the kingdom. It's, it is the life, the kingdom that really is across this whole planet that may be the, the thing that's connecting everything, the fungus. The fungus. It is. And you know, something to just drop in as a thought, if we destroyed this planet, if we screwed it up to the deepest mm -hmm. level ever, mm -hmm. well, the planet's fine because it's got its fungal networks. Like, like I said, up to a mile underground. Plus, yeah. in the stratosphere, the top mm -hmm. of our atmosphere, the very, very tip of our atmosphere, the only thing yeah. that survives up there is not nuclear weapons. They can't quite get that high. It's mm -hmm. actually spores all around our planet. We have this bio shield of spores everything that comes into this planet and leaves this planet gets dipped in these spores that can survive in space but also once that everything settled down even if it means like hundreds of years later these spores will slowly come back down to the surface and start breaking up the rock and building new planet earth so like they are the immune system of this planet they are the neural net the 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 wood wide web as i was calling it earlier the internet of connection between species. Uh, we just haven't learned to have such a reverence for them yet and realize like, whoa, these guys got it figured out. And they, they are the champions of our planet, the ennobled species. Wow, so there's still some hope for us <laughs> and for this planet, I think. Maybe not for us. But <laughs> we used to think the sun circled around the earth. Right. We still think the, the earth circles around the human. You know, we're, we're, mm -hmm. we're still locked in that. That program yeah. needs to be broken. And we realize, oh, the, the human is just an orbiting culture, an orbiting species around the mycelium and the bacteria, which is where the center of, of consciousness is on our planet. It's not in us. We just know how to articulate consciousness, but real center of the consciousness of our planet is in the bacterial and the mycelial kingdoms. Wow. It's just, I think it's such a mind-blowing paradigm shift for people to start thinking in that way <laughs> the earth was flat once right we fell off the edge if we went into the pacific ocean or the atlantic ocean yeah thank you so much i mean that's 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 why i would love talking to you thank you so much oh um, my pleasure yeah so i'll let the, i'll i'll put a link out for the viewers so they can get some of your awesome products and uh 
And yeah, we can... please do. Uh, link to Harmonic Arts, um, harmonicarts.ca. Yeah. But also, I highly recommend you check out my YouTube channel. Um, we yes. got over 150 videos on plant medicine. It's Herbal Jedi at YouTube. Right. Um, and of course, I'm on all the social channels as Herbal Jedi. So That's awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Yarrow. Thank you. Okay. All right. Take Be care. well. Bye-bye. Ciao.